Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Today on the show, we have a returning guest, Sathya Sam, my fellow Canadian. Welcome back. (laughs) What's up, Drew? Good to be here, man. I'm glad you're back because we are talking about one of the topics that you talk about a lot in your course called Deep Clean, which is Mm -hmm. thought life. Yeah, big topic. Some people have said that the largest sexual organ in our bodies is not between our legs, it's between our ears. (laughs) It's the brain. That's pretty clever. That's clever. I'd have to agree. Yeah. So I'm really glad we're talking about this today. And the importance of this was really resonating with me when I remembered an exercise that I did based on something Dr. William Struthers advised. And he said, you will learn a lot about your thought life if you take one day and do a little brief journal entry each hour of the day and just answer the question, what were you thinking about? And as I did this, I realized how much of the day I was thinking about sex and relationships. And I hope this girl likes me. And even now, it's so revealing. It's showing me where is my heart? Like thinking about this conflict I have with a friend, thinking about work, thinking about are the kids going to be okay? What's going on in marriage? Like, where is God in all this? All these idols have come into my thought life and they're taking over, man. Yeah, it's it's crazy. That exercise is really scary. I feel like my muscles tense as soon as you start talking about it because it's it's really um, yeah, it's very confronting just to be aware of what you're thinking about. And um, I think sometimes we we like to tell ourselves that our thoughts are are better than they are sometimes. So uh, good for you for doing that, man. That uh, takes some guts. Definitely does. So Thea, why are you so passionate about this topic of thought life? Yeah, well, uh, my my main mantra in recovery is that all behavior is rooted in belief. And um, the, the whole point of that really is just trying to draw a connection between the external and the internal. And Drew, you and I know there's there's lots of people out there that preach the external solutions about behavior modification, all that stuff. And we know that doesn't work, uh, certainly doesn't work long term. And, um, and if you really want long lasting transformation, something has to take place at the heart level. I know for me in my journey, I, when I discovered this whole heart thing, you know, it felt like revolutionary. Like, how come no one told me about this? I couldn't believe it. And so you learned about forgiveness and processing your emotions and, and healing from wounds of the past. And I really uh, like it, this is a classic Sathya, but like you get excited about this topic and then you just get way too immersed in it and kind of put the blinders on to all the other important facets that are meant to support the topic. And that was that was totally the case for me. So I just I dove headfirst into all this heart stuff. And completely neglected thought life and and beliefs and kind of mentality and all that. And and eventually, you know, God and his goodness kind of brought me back around and I was able to round out my recovery a little bit more. But I realized that a huge part of transformation, not in, not just the emotions and the forgiveness and, and all those kinds of tools that are a lot more relationally oriented and I would say emotionally charged, there's, there's this thought component as well. And your thoughts don't just manage themselves. You, you have to be active and, and really involved in taking care of them. And I found that that coupling those two things together, the sort of inner journey, the heart transformation with a really rock solid thought life, um, to me, that was kind of like an unstoppable duo in long-term recovery. So that's why I'm really passionate about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how can we transform our thought life. First of all, where do our thoughts come from? Okay, uh, it's a good question. I think there are four origins of thought, in my opinion. Uh, God and the devil. I think most Christians have those two parts figured out. We know that God's got thoughts. We know the enemy has thoughts. Uh, we have our own thoughts. And then there's the thoughts of others. And I think that that's actually a really good starting point when, when you talk about thought life. Because when you can identify the the origins of a thought, where it's like, wait a minute, that that does, that thought doesn't sound right. It's really helpful to just to be to be able to look at it and say, oh no, I don't I don't want that thought or I don't want to deal with that thought. That thought's not worth my time. That sounds like a thought from the enemy, or I'm just projecting my friend's expectations of me. That's not actually what I want. You know what I mean? Just all the different things. But 
I think the mistake we make is we just think because we have a thought, it's ours and, and oh, we're terrible people for thinking that. How could you think that? You know, we kind of go into these, at least I go into these cycles. And, um, and so just knowing those four sources of thought and being able to retrace their origins can be really helpful for just deciding, is this thought worth my time or do I want to move on and think about something else? Mm, that's good. So when a thought comes into my head that could lead me down the path to porn, what would be an example of that? Yeah. Um, so I think that that's a great example. So you're, you're walking down the street, you see somebody attractive, and they remind you of things that you've watched before. This is something I've experienced myself. So it's understanding that actually the reason my brain went there, as much as I would like to blame the enemy, the reality is I've made some choices that have created those patterns in my brain. So I, I have to own that part of it. But I can also decide what happens afterwards. The, the enemy might be the one who compounds it, the one who kind of jumps on that and tries to get you to think about other things and tries to get you to dwell on it and brings it back later on in the day. You know, he's, he's involved in the process and he's always trying to gear you towards those thoughts that are going to derail you. Um, so I think in, in a situation like that, you have to own your part of it. Okay, that's my thought. And then a, a really important thing is actually just to face it head on. You know, I, I think for me, a lot of my teachings growing up were like, run away from it. Or, you know, it kind of, it, it sounds the alarm bells like danger, danger. You had a bad thought, you know, it's like <laughs> just bounce the eyes and throw it away. And um, it just, it's so much more powerful. You, you actually, I think you articulate this really well, Drew, but it's, it's just about saying, thank you, God, like, thank you, God, for my attraction. You know, just, just that powerful stance of like, I don't need to run away from this. I, my attraction's God given. And that's a good thing. The thought that she is a really beautiful person. Yeah. Could actually reflect the image of God and his design. Like That's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's a much more powerful approach. You know, like anytime you're running from something, you have relinquished power. So it's, mm. it's a much more powerful way to just be able to say, yeah, I had this thought. Thank, yeah, thank you, Jesus, for this attraction. Thank you for this person you made. And it, it dissipates. It really does dissipate the sting, generally speaking. Um, I, I mean, we're kind of talking in ideals a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, it, it certainly is a much better approach than trying to run away from those bad thoughts that you have from time to time. Absolutely. I fully agree with that because sexual repression is not the answer. We've talked about different thoughts that can come from God and ourselves and how the enemy can throw in his own layer onto the thought of like, well, you're a horrible person or you're such a pervert. There's the other source where a thought could be coming from someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's a little bit overlooked, but the reality is like we're, we are social creatures. So we're, we're influenced by the thoughts of other people. And um, Jesus had, had this teaching. He said in, in Luke 6, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the idea is kind of what you put in is what will come out. And so the, the thoughts of others, that whole realm, it, it's not actually just people. It would be much easier because you have a lot of control over that. But it's media. It's the, the marketing messages you get exposed to. It's, it's literally everything. We are bombarded. I mean, we are the most advertised to generation and people ever uh, by like, by, I don't know, it's like 10 or maybe 100 fold. It's kind of ridiculous. So we get exposed to these ideas all the time. And I think being aware of that is a really helpful thing. Um, I've had to work through this recently, like even Netflix is a great example, you know, because if you look at why you watch something on Netflix, generally you're identifying with characters. Um, there's a point of connection with the plot or whatever, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you have to be really careful that you don't get so absorbed into it that you actually start to draw conclusions about life, about people, relationships, and whatever else it may be. And that's a really, at least for me, Drew, it's a slippery slope. And I think that's where the whole others facet is is really important. You have to be really yes, aware of it. That is so true. And to name, what are the media influences that have had a formative impact on me and a deformative impact? For example, I grew up watching Disney movies. How do you think that affected my view of marriage? Yeah. <laughs> How do you think that affected my view of relationships? I mean, there was maybe an innocence to it. And yet also this happily ever after narrative that I really needed to grow out of. I also grew up watching the show Friends. Did you ever see that show? Oh, love that show, man. It was a great show. And 
I love the way that friends showed me that, okay, sex is something normal. It's something people can talk about. And yet at the same time, you know, if those characters were having a problem in their sex life or they weren't having very much sex with random people, then they were depressed and anxious and they felt like they were missing out. And I feel like that FOMO, that fear of missing out is a thought that can be traced back in some ways to that show. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how that works, right? And it the thing is, it happens so innocently. Like, mm. you just, you kind of get into a show, your friends like it, or whatever yeah. it might be, you're killing a little bit of time. And then here you go, like, you've drawn these conclusions now about relationships and about sex and whatever else. Yes. And, um, and anyways, I'm not like, you know, the media is all bad. It's not like you have to abstain from it altogether. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just about being aware of what's going on and what's right. really influencing your thought life. Yes, being aware of what's going on. And I also just want to come back to that idea that other people can play a huge role. And whenever I interact with somebody who's having a really harsh inner critic, that kind of thought that tears myself down, I get curious and say, who does that voice remind you of? Is there anyone else that it sounds like? And sometimes it's a teacher, it's a boss, it's a parent. Yeah, that's really good. That's a really good question. And I, I forget which guru it was that said, you're, you're generally the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. Mm. And I think there's a lot of validity to that, not just in like kind of the external results of your life. That's, that was more the context of that quote, but it's certainly true of your inner life as well, because it shapes the beliefs and the thoughts and the things that we kind of meditate on. So yeah, it's very important. So we have these four sources of thoughts from God, from other people, from ourselves, and from the enemy. You talk about the difference, though, between a thought and a belief. Yes. Yes. So I've, uh, I've coined this term, the thought-belief continuum, um, that I believe is kind of what, I, it gives a bit of articulation to how something becomes a belief. Because, of course, talking about beliefs is nothing new. I think people have been doing this for a long time. And in a spiritual context, we always talk about what we believe, that we believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross and rose for our sins. And, and uh, you know, we talk about all the things we kind of believe doctrinally. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about uh, a belief about yourself, a belief about relationships, about sex. You know, you believe if I don't have an active sex life, then I should be depressed. That's an example of a belief. And those are the kinds of things I'm talking about. Got it. Um, I, I have this continuum idea. And, and the basic concept is, uh, it's kind of like a thermometer, you know, uh, a thermometer, something is not, it's not really hot or cold. It's just, it's a certain temperature. And depending on where it lands in that spectrum determines what quality it has. Um, the warmer something gets, the further it moves along that spectrum. And for water, once it hits 100 degrees Celsius, it's boiling. And once it hits zero degrees or below, it's it's freezing. So you kind of have these markers. And I find that thought life is very similar. You can have thousands, hundreds of thoughts a day that come in and out of your mind, most of them don't necessarily carry a lot of gravity to them. But the ones that stick and the ones that end up becoming beliefs are the ones that you have faith in. And so in the same way that heat moves something along the the thermal gradient, faith moves a thought into a belief. And it's not something that happens overnight. Um, Even if somebody's very compelling, that will not be enough for something to become a belief right then and there. But it's, it's with repetition, it's with social proof, it's having somebody of authority, and it's, of course, having an experience of a thought that can really reinforce it and solidify it as a belief. And um, so when I work with guys, it's, it's one of the things we kind of boil down is we say, okay, we're not going to worry so much about every single thought you've ever had, but let's see if we can try to pinpoint the ones that are, that are really poignant in your life, the ones that you seem to have a lot of faith for, and whether they're good or bad is another story, but that's kind of where we start. We start by identifying our beliefs. Yeah. And this helps me understand your statement that all behavior reflects our beliefs. Doesn't always reflect our thoughts. Yes. So thoughts don't always lead to behaviors. They always come from these deeper seated beliefs. Yes, exactly. And it's, it's really, it's the thoughts you act on. Those are always the ones that are going to be the most impactful for you. And it can be really helpful for you to know that not only to understand, okay, I have this behavior and it's because of these, these thoughts and these beliefs and these experiences that we're contributing. But similarly, if, I mean, you know, the reason we're having this conversation is because we're interested in 
um, in repairing or improving our behavior. So similarly, you if you want to have better behavior patterns, a part of that is going to involve acting on superior thoughts. So that, that connection, I think, is really important there. So let's take this to a really practical level. I'm walking down the street. I see this girl or this guy who is really attractive and think, wow, that person's attractive. How does that thought become a belief? Okay, good good question. Um, that thought alone is is not much. As we've discussed, like attraction can be dissipated, right? Um, might just be giving thanks. It's looking in the face. It's holding your ground, staying powerful and all of that. Um, the, the thought, the way a thought evolves into a belief is something increases your faith in that thought. So okay. let's say it's, it's not just that you're attracted to that person, but you're like, maybe in that attraction, you have an urge well up. And so all you're thinking about is, uh, how do I get home? How do I get alone so that I can watch some porn and masturbate or whatever it is? Our brains can go there very quickly, right? So if you have that thought, I, I need to get home and be alone to handle this attraction. That's really just a thought. It, it is, it is a option for sure. Um, but it's not the only option. But if, if for you, it's, it's the only option and you, you go home and on your way home, you see another attractive person and they remind you of it. Well, now you have some repetition. So it's, it's reinforcing that a little bit. And, um, and then you go home and you think about that time that, you know, that, that inner critic, your mom told you, you know, you're never, you're never going to be able to get better grades in math if you keep, if you keep, you know, not doing your homework or whatever. You have this critic, that thing that reminds you, yeah, I really don't have what it takes to, to fight this. I know I probably shouldn't go do all that stuff. And so you have you have a little bit of authority there. And it 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 all is a bunch of little things that all increase our faith until we reach a place where we're in our room, we're alone, and we're acting out now because we saw somebody attractive a couple hours ago. So all these thoughts can gang up into a big train of thought. And that is hard to stop. Yeah, much harder. Yeah, and it, the the momentum increases obviously, like as you're suggesting there. And I think it as soon as you act on it, that is, of course, the devastating part of all this. If we all had a struggle with just lustful thoughts but no lustful behavior, it's actually a very different conversation because in some yeah. ways the roots have not gone as deep. But the yeah. fact that you've acted on it and that okay. it's brought a reward, that really enforces it, right? And obviously there's a whole bunch of uh, neuroscience behind that and whatever else. Right. But it's those are the things that really can solidify and reinforce a belief. So these thoughts acted upon time and time again. Most of us have been struggling with some kind of sexual brokenness or pornography for years. It really adds up. They become entrenched. And here we are. Yeah. So for someone who says, I want to take back control of my thought life, what can I do? Okay, really good question. So um, the way I phrase it is, um, is this. It's a little bit of a kind of a poetic thing. Every thought is a seed. It takes root when you agree with it. It grows as you repeat it. And it bears fruit when you act on it. Okay, let's stop there. Can you say that again? I want to remember that. Okay, every thought is a seed. It takes root when you agree with it. It grows as you repeat it. And it bears fruit as you act on it. So I, I think one of our godly responsibilities is to be gardeners of our mind is to actually just have a say in what grows there, you know, what actually gets to take root. So let's, we'll break that down a little bit. Um, understanding thoughts at seed is really helpful because basically what it tells us is every thought carries potential, but in of itself, it is not enough to do any damage, Go, uh, mm. damage or benefit, I suppose. It, it carries the potential, but it must take root. And the way that happens is for us to agree with it. It it means that we we entertain it. We we think it has some validity, some merit. You know, yeah, I guess if I don't have an active sex life, I should be depressed. You know, it's kind of that like, yeah, you know, you just you start to think on it and kind of give it some some credibility, right? Yeah. And uh, who knew friends was gonna have this kind of an impact on the conversation? <laughs> um 
And then you you start to think about it more. So it, it doesn't mean that you become obsessed with it instantly. It just means that as time goes on, this thing comes up again and again and again. And it's again, it's just kind of driving that thing. It's growing that plant in your garden until eventually you, you become primed to act on it. So I think for somebody who's struggling, the, the first thing is actually just to become aware of your thoughts, like taking a mm-hmm. thought audit, like you were mentioning earlier, Drew, mm-hmm. that's a great place to start because until you actually become aware of what you're up against, you really don't have much, much chance of dealing with it, at least long term. So a thought audit is a great place to start. And then, and then the next thing I would say is pay attention to the thoughts that stick around because yeah. those are the, well, yeah, the thoughts that stick around or the ones that come up repeatedly. Because those are the ones that are likely, they have some growth in your garden, so to speak, and they might be able to point you towards some of your deeper-seated beliefs. So first of all, become aware. What are my thoughts? What am I thinking? Can we pay attention to what we're paying attention to? Yes. Because until I'm aware of something, I can't change it. Yeah, exactly. And then once I do that, all right, then I figure out what are some of these ones that keep coming up again and again? What are some of the weeds that I feel like are actually growing in my mind? Some of those that could be related to deeper-seated beliefs. Yes, exactly. And then what's the next step? So after that, you you want to pay attention then to uh, your behaviors, of course. That's kind of what drew you there in the first place. Um, but I, I think the amazing thing about being a gardener, just to run with the analogy a little bit, is you can, you can stop a plant's growth at any time. It might be about to blossom. It might be just a little seed in your garden that you don't want there. Um, if it's, if it's a seed, we've kind of talked about that. It, it is about actually just embracing the thought. Don't, don't run away from it. Just face hmm. it head on and then decide kind of what you want to do with it. Um, if you catch something where, okay, I've made some agreement. I don't like the way this is creeping up a little bit. I'm a huge fan of journaling. So that's usually when I will say, cue the journal. The The real key there is just to, it's just to unpack it a little bit. You want to flesh out the thought and figure out what are some of the maybe contributing memories? What are some of the emotions surrounding it? And try to get a better handle on what's going on. And depending on what comes up, you'll then, you'll then know what it is you're meant to do with it. Um, so if it's, if it's memories, obviously drew, you're, you're like the master of this, as far as I'm, con- as I'm concerned, <laughs> you work through your story, you reach places of forgiveness and acceptance, all that kind of stuff. Um, on an emotional level, it could be as simple as just finding outlets that are going to help you process some of the emotions. It really just depends on what comes up. But I think that journaling piece or having somebody you can talk to, um, a trusted, I believe you call them allies. I call them spotters, having people in your camp that you can kind of reach out to, um, all those kinds of things can be helpful for trying to just break something down so that you don't get stuck with this thing that kind of grows and spirals out of control. I love that, man. What an empowering role that we get to be gardeners. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of the Garden of Eden and our original calling to rule and to reign and to think that we can be in charge of what goes on between our ears. Yeah. I, I remember somebody told me, you know, you're not a victim to your thoughts. And that, that was the way it really struck me is like, I think if, if nobody teaches us, we basically grow up learning to judge ourselves based on the thoughts we have. And it's really empowering. You know, yeah, I do have those thoughts and I can have a say in what I get to do with them afterwards. It's really amazing. Yeah. And we can take up our mental gardening tools like journaling. Yeah. Can you give an example of a thought or a belief that you've been able to process through journaling? Yeah, big time. I'll, I'll give you an example of one that I, I would say I'm still working through. And it is this whole feeling of not being good enough. So not being good enough, um, when you have a core belief like that, it basically will manifest in every facet of your life. And as you go further in life, you know, you get married, you get more involved in your career, um, whatever it might be, those, those beliefs start to amplify. So for me, I have had to work through that a lot. Um, just battling these feelings that come up of being unworthy and, and being, not being good enough is actually the right phrasing because 
I'm very, um, I tend to measure and I tend to, I love metrics, you know, and I was very high achieving academically. So I, for me, I'm like, give me a number, give me a grade, you know, and am I good enough? Did I make the cut? Am I good enough to get a scholarship or get into this program? Or, you know what I mean? Like it's whatever it is, or just get the approval of my teacher, of my parents, whatever it is. So this whole thing of, of reaching a standard is something I have to work through. Um, for me, journaling is, is always twofold. There's, there's always an expression piece where you are, you're getting things out, you're articulating the feelings, you're, you're labeling the emotions and, and identifying the thoughts and just kind of getting to sort of chew on it a little bit, ruminate, if you will. And then the reflection piece where you actually, you take time. I always say, put the pen down, like don't just write, but put the pen down and listen, listen to your own heart that will start to connect dots after you've get everything out and listen to the heart of God, that still small voice that, that just gives you a little poke here, a little prod there, uh, a little bit of a new perspective and that sort of thing. So um, where, where um, not feeling good enough comes up a lot lately is, uh, is in marriage. And my, my wife and I are two years in. Um, we have a good connection, but we're two very different people. And so we always have stuff we need to work through and, and talk through. And sometimes she will give me feedback on something like, hey, when you did that, I felt, I felt like really undervalued by it. And my defense mechanisms rise because I think if I didn't do something to value my wife, then I'm not good enough as a husband. So I, I, I have a responsibility to go back to my journal or at least even in the moment to recognize what's going on, to own my part of it, to not get defensive. But on the journaling front, it, it looks like actually processing this. Okay, why, why did that come up? That I want a marriage where my wife can give me feedback. I can't, I don't want to be the limiting factor here. So why did that come up? And learning to process it, understanding some of the insecurities that might be contributing to it, obviously some of the damaging beliefs, and then, and then working through them depending on, on what comes up. Totally. And when we, take up that pen and then we put it down and listen, we might be surprised by what we hear. Yeah, that, that is by far the most revolutionary part of journaling as far as I'm concerned. I think um, identifying your emotions and all that has in, like immense value, don't get me wrong. But when you hear God give you that clarity or in your moment where you're just dejected with yourself and what you've done and you hear that still small voice like, you're my beloved son. I, I love you. I see you. I know you. You're, you're amazing just the way you are. I accept you. Um, it, it does something to the heart, something that I don't think any other tool can. So beautiful. And in journaling, to use this gardening metaphor, it's Please. like we dig down and reveal what's there. And sometimes the roots go way deeper back in childhood than we were aware of. And the further we dig down, the more we can invite God in that place. Yeah. We give him access. We give him our dirt, our yucky, messy dirt, and say, would you touch me there? So as we do this deeper work, there's a revealing, and that creates an opportunity for healing. That's exactly it. Yeah. And I, I think you touched on something important there, Drew. It is not just, um, it's not just a glimpse. It's not just about taking a glimpse underneath the surface. It's, it's actually about going to those deep places as deep as you need to go. And the heart, the heart always knows how far it can go. You know, it won't really let you go any further than it's, it's capable of. But really, um, the, the more, I don't know how to describe it. I guess the more, uh, ability or capacity you develop to just look under the surface to sit in some of those roots a little bit and really just embrace it and then of course learn to resolve them that that is true power that's true control in your life and of course that's going to impact how you think about yourself god and the world this is so good man if we could if we could just learn this one critical skill it will have a huge effect and what I love is when we go deep into those roots, into those core beliefs, and God can do his gardening and his tender care and his pruning, then he can plant something new. Yeah. Into the mess, That's exactly it. into the mug, into the stuff that I wish would not have happened to me. 
or that I wish was not true about me, the stuff that I don't like about myself. In those places, what does it look like to create new beliefs? Yeah, so this, of course, is the million-dollar question. Um, I think the, the main thing really is you want, you want to align your beliefs with the truth, um, not with positive psychology per se, not with things that seem right or, or even reasonable. You want it to be aligned with the truth. And what I mean by that is, um, I mean, the, the classic scriptures in John 8 where Jesus says that it is the truth that sets you free. And similarly, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It, it is something he literally embodies. So when I'm talking about believing the truth, it's not, it's not about saying like, okay, I believe the lie. I'm not good enough. So I am good enough in Jesus name. You know, like <laughs> it, it's not about just, just reversing yeah. it and trying to kind of get the rah, rah, positive thing. Something, something tells me that plant is going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just doesn't quite have the roots to make the yeah. cut. Yeah. Um, what it's really about is, is it's finding truth, things that you can actually um, sink your teeth into things that you can say, not just like this makes sense cerebrally, but this resonates in my heart of hearts. And it's why I'm very hesitant to give, you know, everybody wants kind of the cookie cutter, like what's the, what is the truth then? What are the things I'm supposed to believe? And I always give a few things to start, but I, I think it's important that, um, and this is where journaling ties in, as you go along the journey of discovering the truth about who you are and how God sees you and why you're, why you exist and why you're on this planet, it, it is really about um, hearing the truth from God. Discovery in the Bible, you know, sometimes you read these things that you've read a hundred times, but suddenly it's got life. It, it, it's speaking to your heart in a different way. And then other times it's in the, it's as you journal and you hear that still small whisper of the Father giving you words of love, affirmation, acceptance, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but there has to be that, that heart connection to the truth. It, it is not enough to just simply say, I believe it in my head. Uh, something has to happen at an inner level because of course, all behavior is rooted in belief. The external is rooted in the internal. So we have to be dealing with things at an internal level. And I think to, to walk in a healthy belief system, it is about aligning your, your beliefs and what you believe uh, with the truth, the truth of God and what he says in his word and what he says to you in, in your times together. Amen. This sounds really, really good theoretically. Yeah. Can you show us what does this look like for someone who says, Sathya, I feel like I'm not good enough. I really resonate with that. Yeah. So let's let's run a little bit further with this example with my wife. So I go and I journal. Um, I express myself. I kind of label some of the emotions. I identify some of the thoughts. I become aware that actually this is not really about my wife. It is about um, is about experience when I was younger. So I get into that experience a little bit. I realize I haven't fully forgiven my mom. Um, my mom was actually like not a very, um, critical person per se, but, um, but sometimes, and this is actually more of a cultural thing, Drew, in, in the Indian culture, you, you have to achieve academically to get any kind of like acceptance, you know, it's just understood that like, if you want to really be successful in the Indian culture, you pursue, uh, medicine or engineering law, whatever it might be. So my mom used to always make this joke. I would, I would come home and I, I was high achieving. So I'd come home with a 96 and she would say, oh, what happened to the other 4%? Kind of like, mm. ha ha ha, but sort of yeah. like, ah, 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 you know, like poking yeah. a little bit. And again, just creates this feeling of like, oh, I did my very best and I thought I did really well. But the implicit remark back is it still wasn't quite good enough. Like what happened to the other 4%? So it's, it's learning to, okay, for me, I'm big on forgiveness. You've heard me mention it so many times in this interview already. It, it is about forgiving. It's about releasing. And then um, one of the things I will journal, I'll even just ask God, what is, what lie am I believing? What's the, what's the lie attached to this experience? And then start to, start to kind of process it a little bit. Um, and then one of my favorite things to ask God is, what is the truth? Just even just to ask him that straight up, what is the truth about this? And it, it's different every time. And that's why having that fluid dynamic connection with God is really vital. It's really important so that you're not just getting kind of the slot machine answers of you are good mm -hmm. enough or, you know, you right. are accepted. Um, but it's like, Sathya, 
um, I thought 96% was amazing. You know, mm. like it's just, it's getting those personal messages from the father that, that speak to the situation in a way that nothing else could. And so for me, that's what it's looked like. And I believe everybody can do that. Anybody who comes to my program learns these things. And with the right guidance, the right teaching, you can learn these things. They're not, they're not mm. for the elite or the exclusive. It's for everybody. That message to you that 96 is amazing also has a vocal tone associated with it. Like there's a feeling of acceptance just in the way that you said that. And it's almost like you are amazing. Yeah. You know, what you bring to the world is amazing. And so the Holy Spirit so sensitively gave you exactly what you needed. I think in the seven pillars of freedom, they call these prophetic promises. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And we need those. We need those. For me, it's it's kind of different. One of the memories I go back to is that when I was in third grade, I was living in Mexico, Mexico City, actually. And I was at this school where there was a mix of Mexican kids and international kids. And I really didn't feel like I belonged in this place as I felt in many places as a kid. And I was doing really well academically. I remember getting back a quiz for my teacher and I would frequently get a really high grade. And I remember the girl next to me's name was Christina. And she said to me, you are such a nerd <laughs> for my high grade. And I, in that moment, realized, you know what? If I want to fit in more, if I want to belong more, if I want people to like me more, maybe I need to not be as excellent. Maybe I need to take it down a few notches. And so for me, God gave me such a customized prophetic promise of, no, Drew, you are a hundred percenter. You can finish, you can do your best and enjoy that. And you are different and that's okay. And in wow. fact, I love that you're different. I love you for your strengths. Don't hide, don't be ashamed, you know? And so yeah. even in this one little situation where it came down to school and academics, God told you something that you needed and he's told me something that I needed. That's exactly it. And that that is the amazing thing about New Covenant living is we all get access to this. We all get a chance to interact with the Father, to hear his positive, loving, uh, unconditionally accepting words in a way that, that resonates to us and speaks to our hearts, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a beautiful illustration, man. That's exactly it. It feels beautiful when I believe it. <laughs> it feels beautiful when it roots more deeply into my heart. And when I practice, you know, when I do the dishes, there's a part of me that just wants to be done at 90%. <laughs> like, no, I'm a hundred percenter. And each time I do that belief grows, that garden is becoming more like what it was meant to be. Yeah. So when we have these true good beliefs, these prophetic promises, how do we help them take root? So I think there's a couple of things. One is you always want to be able to reason. Why is it true? It's a really important yeah. one because I think, I think we tend to make a leap. It's like, perfect. I got my prophetic promise and now I'm going to run with it. Like God said it, therefore I believe it. And there's total merit to that. I'm not actually against that paradigm, but I think it's important. You can actually reason why, like, why is being a hundred percenter okay? Or why is that a good thing? Or mm. how do you know you're a hundred percenter? You know, just... <laughs> Being able to reason it a little bit, it, it adds some gravity to those roots, if you will. And then I think uh, repetition is really powerful as well. So for me, I'm big on affirmations. And I've coined a little thing called mirror therapy, where I stand in front of the mirror, I look myself square in the eyes, and I speak the truth right into them. It is so uncomfortable, man. It is so uncomfortable. Even, you know, even just to stand in front of the mirror and look at yourself in the eyes, it, it really takes a lot to do that. Um, and I'm much more comfortable doing it now, but it took me a long time to get there. Um, but then when you can start to speak the truth, uh, that becomes unbelievably powerful. 
There's a there's a scripture somewhere that says, um, or it kind of implicates that the eyes are the window to the soul. And that idea that by looking yourself in the eyes and speaking straight to them, you're actually allowing the truth to, to penetrate those deep parts of you. And um, I know for me, when I was still struggling with pornography, I, I somehow picked this up along the way. I forget if somebody taught it to me or if, um, I forget why. But after slips, I would stand in front of the mirror and I would look myself in the eyes and I would just say, you're going to get through this. You're, you're going to figure it out. You're, you're going to make it. You know, I just, I knew that if I could just somehow speak to my heart, if I could just get to it and just encourage it as quickly as possible afterwards, that it would help. It wasn't a solution in of itself, but the one thing I noticed is it actually dramatically curbed my thought life after a mistake. And, and it really helped me to bounce back quickly because I think, I think I just became occupied with the truth a little bit more easily. And of course, I think with that added part of looking at yourself in the eyes, letting it go to those deeper places, I think there's major impact there. So I'm a huge fan of that. Wow. Mirror therapy. Yes, sir. That sounds rugged. I don't know <laughs> if I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to go into the bathroom. Maybe I have some trigger stories around bathrooms and mirrors, but this is this is so powerful, Sathya. Like if we really do this. Yeah, it is. And it's it's because, you know, I I always say like you can't you cannot outbehave your beliefs. Mm. So just yep. being able to really instill truth into your heart is it's everything. And it is the truth that sets you free. So, um, you know, we're, we're all trying to figure out ways to do this. I, I believe it's a huge part of your work, Drew, and, and your yep. messaging, even some of the stuff I, I draw from it is like, yeah, it is, it is really about forming an identity that is based on the truth of God, on what he's speaking. And I think, I think we know that is really the only way to have long-term success yeah. where you can be free for a long time without having to white knuckle it or, um, or sink too much into you know behavioral mechanics. Yes, and to not only speak that truth over myself, also to experience it. Yes, and to receive it from another person can be so powerful. Yeah, because of that social proof, I'm more likely to believe it. When you tell me, if you really know me, yeah. than if I'm telling myself. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think that is why uh, mirror therapy, learning to ration, reason, having these times with God are so powerful. Because in my opinion, they actually prime you or position <laughs> you to have social proof. Because mm-hmm. they, they start to shape the way you, you perceive things. And, and they start to set you up for those experiences because as, as long as you're meditating on it and even thinking about it, even if you're not sure if you believe it, as long as it's there and it's kind of ruminating in your mind, there's a better chance you're going to act on it. And in doing so, you get to reinforce it. And of course, it becomes momentous as you keep doing it. Can you give us some kind of challenge? Like if we're serious about this, what should we do for how many days? <laughs> Yeah, so um, my challenge would be, uh, as a starting point, find some scripture that speaks about who you are. I would even just ask the Holy Spirit, like, Holy Spirit, as I'm reading through, would you just speak to me about who I am? Find a couple scriptures, find like two or three of them, then get in front of a mirror, look yourself in the eyes, and speak those things over yourself. Um, and I'll give, I'll give your guys a, a starting point. Colossians 1 verse 22, um, it, it is explaining uh, the, the reconciliation of Christ, the work on the cross, how we were enemies in our mind, but, you know, he, um, he shed his blood for us and that we'd be reconciled. And then it says to present you, to present you to the Father as holy, blameless, and above reproach. Let's go. And there's, there's no exceptions there. There's no ifs, no ands or buts. It's not just for a couple. It's to present all of us as holy, blameless, and above reproach. So that's a good starting point. Just to look at yourself in the mirror, look at yourself in the eyes, and just say, I am holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's a great place to start. I am holy, blameless, and above reproach. I want to take my watering can and grow that thought a little bit. That's it, man. Grow that into a nice, luscious plant. 
Yes, into a belief yeah. that begins to have effects and bear fruit, right? Yeah, that's exactly, that's the whole goal of this is that you have a, a fruit bearing garden in every season. Mm. And, um, and it's, it's possible, you know, I think, I think it's, it takes work for sure. And I think the thought life is, is so vital, isn't it? That's, that's where a lot of this battle takes place. Actually, like you mentioned at the beginning, um, really good quote. And I think, yeah, when you can start to have a, a healthy garden, that's it. Yeah. And for those of you guys who are out there thinking, my garden is such a mess. My thought life is all over the place. I just want to validate cleaning up a garden is much, much more difficult than maintaining a garden. Yeah. The hardest part is right at the beginning when it's a jungle. Yeah. Every day when we keep coming back, that neuroplasticity, myelination, repetition, day by day, it does get easier until you get to a point where maybe you can just maintain the garden. And that actually takes a lot less energy and effort and it doesn't have to be a constant battle. Yeah, that's really well said, man. And I, I agree. One of the things I've observed in recovery um, is that people need the most encouragement at the beginning mm. because that's when it's the hardest. That's when you're, you're confronting it. It's when you're putting your gloves on, you're getting on your <laughs> knees, you're trying to uproot <laughs> those suckers, right? And it's work. I've never done man. this before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like you're saying, an amazing thing happens as the momentum gathers. It is an exponential thing. Like hmm. recovery is not necessarily a linear progression. I think in a lot of ways, it's actually kind of like the hockey stick curve. Initially, hmm. it doesn't feel like tons is happening. You you know that they're the right things and you kind of do them because you trust Drew. And you're like, yeah, I think the Cynthia guy knows what he's talking about. So I'm going to give it a shot. But then something happens after a while and the momentum starts to gather. And suddenly it's like, yeah, I got I got a clean garden to work with here. And sure, I need to get some better plants in there, but this is much easier. And then we share it with our friends. And then we think to ourselves, wow, this garden's amazing. And it continues to build that greater momentum and motivation. So celebrate those victories, guys, even the little ones, because yes. that's continuing to turn up the temperature of those thoughts to turn into beliefs, to turn into behaviors. This is really good stuff. Before we wrap up this conversation, can you share a celebration or a victory story from your life or the life of one of your clients where you have seen transformation, somebody cleaning up his garden? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think one of the more prominent ones lately in my mind is a guy from the Netherlands and he came in with a, a pretty good understanding of sort of this approach. He had already gone through some different programs and stuff where he had done some healing of his heart and some recovery from the past, but he had never done it in a porn recovery context. So we start digging in a little bit and uh, a lot of the things pointed back to his relationship with his mom. So um, just some experiences that were, were damaging. And one of the big things that he kind of took away from it was just that um, I'm of no value. Like I don't have anything to offer the world. And so we, we, we jammed on that for a little bit. Like, why is that there? And, and what happened? And, and going through forgiveness and working through all of that. And uh, this amazing thing happened as he started to kind of dig in and dive in a little bit. He, he started to realize that actually it was not his mom's fault, but it was that his siblings, his, his dad, and even some of his authority figures at school and stuff, they all in different ways communicated this either explicitly or implicitly. So he worked through it, he forgave, and he came up with this amazing truth, Drew, and I'm, I'm forgetting the exact phrasing of it, but it was, it was almost like to know, it wouldn't make sense to anybody else, but to him, it was, it was just exactly what he needed to hear. It was just something like, you know, um, <laughs> I wish I, it was just something like I, I am a champion or something like that. Mm. But the, even just the word selection, all of it reverberated and resonated with his experiences of being victorious of of having a place of not just not just being in the mix but actually being somebody that could stand out and be on top and um and so we we do this exercise in deep clean where you you have like a label on your chest and it's it's the old label so he has his old label of um you know i don't have anything to offer tears it off and then you put it i kind of put a new one on and there's some prayers that come with it and 
and whatever else. And, uh, you know, he sends me this picture of him with his, his new label kind of like tattooed on his chest and just a big smile. And that, that picture, man, it just, it's, it's ingrained for me in my mind because I think that's what this is all about. It is just about that, that confidence in who God made me to be, not some cookie cutter truth or, or not some declaration that feels good, but has no substance and doesn't take root. It's just about doing the hard work and reaching that place where you are anchored in the truth of God. And the power is in the particularity. Yeah. When it's specific to the story. That's when it sinks in. Exactly. This is so good, Sathya. Thank you for joining us today. And also, thank you for your generous offer to do a live Q&A with us. So when this episode gets published the very next night, you're going to join us and we're going to have a conversation with members of the Husband Material Men community. I'm excited, man. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. If people want to go deeper with you or learn about your program, what should they do? Uh, They can go to getadeepclean.com and uh, there you can find out more information about my resources, my courses, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and yeah, there's a little, if you do, if you do watch through a little bit, you can book a time with me as well. Would be happy to do that. Would love to sit down and, um, yeah, see how I can help you. Sweet. So Thea, what is your favorite thing about a transformed thought life that gives you freedom from porn? Ooh, um, peace of mind. You know, like there's that scripture in Philippians that talks about a peace that surpasses understanding. And I think, I think that's it. I think it's a degree of peace where it's like, I don't have to try to feign it or force it or try to like clear distractions and ah, don't think about that. Or, you know what I mean? It's just, Mm. it's being in that offensive place at all times that brings tremendous amounts of peace. And um, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Me neither. Sitting in that place of peace where I am who God says I am. If Jesus is who he says he is, then I am who he says I am. And porn, that's not who I am anymore. That's it. And the biggest question, of course, is what are we going to do with this? Like now that we have this information, are we going to put it into practice? And I know my next step is to do a little bit of mirror therapy. Yeah. I I mean, I know even as I'm hearing myself talk about it, I probably could use a little mirror therapy myself. Um, You know, I think through the, the danger in our world where content is kind of a dime a dozen is that we listen to great content and we go, wow, that's amazing. That was, that was so good. And then we just keep watching good content. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think it's our responsibility to bridge that, that gap uh, between content and transformation, which is to actually just take some action. Yes. And it's, it's incremental. I, I think that's the thing you have to remind yourself. It's, you don't have to take Rome in a day um, or build Rome in a day. I think that's the expression. You don't have to do it all at once. Um, but one thing leads to another. And as long as you're not taking action, you're not going to experience transformation. So that, those action components are really critical. And I appreciate you pressing in and poking me a little bit more on those, man. Those are the critical pieces. Yeah, you're welcome. So let's not be passive. Let's be proactive and take your next step. If you are binging this podcast, please stop <laughs> and do some journaling. Put this into practice and then let's celebrate together. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again, man. And for everyone else out there, always remember you are God's beloved son and you he's well pleased. Mm -hmm.